Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word as we listen to it this morning. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be among us, that you would open our ears and soften our hearts. Help us to see the glory of the work of Jesus Christ. Help us to be prompted by the grace that is revealed here, so that we also may be gracious in the midst of strife. Lord, guide us in this. Help us to live and to follow as your disciples, as we hear your word, to be conformed to your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we uh, continue through our series in Genesis, we come to another historical event that, that the Spirit has directed our attention and is directing our attention to as the Spirit has guided Moses to record us this for us, to reveal to us the the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and again, we, we need to remember that the focus of these stories is on who God is and his accomplishments, but also upon his application of redemption and what that means for us. And as we begin this morning, we, we need to consider that this chapter, though it never uses the word grace, is a revelation that shows us grace. Boys and girls, grace can be identified as God's riches. If we take the first letters of, or the, the, the letters of the word, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches, A, at Christ's expense. It's a good way to remember grace. It's more than that, but that's a, that's a good way to think about grace, that, that God blesses us with his riches, particularly the richness of a relationship with his son, but he, he gives us that rich relationship through Jesus Christ at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. The first letters of the word are the letters that make up grace. And God deals in the covenant of grace throughout the Old Testament. The covenant of grace, that relationship that that God graciously establishes with his people, with those whom he is redeeming, is is the backbone of the Old Testament. and, And the head of that covenant, the representative of that covenant is our Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that That God's relationship with man, God's relationship with us is always established, always secure, always dependent upon the work of Jesus Christ. And if we keep our focus on that, that that we rely completely on the work of Jesus Christ and God maintaining his relationship for us, his bestowing riches upon us at Christ's expense because of Christ's Accomplishment. Then we begin to see how, how this chapter, though it never mentions the word grace or uses the words grace, is, is like a spotlight showing us the wonder of God's riches at Christ's expense and the effect, the gracious effect that that has on those who cling to Jesus Christ 
in faith. Now previously we, we looked at uh, Genesis 12 and, and we, we noted there that, that that faith by which Abram follows God, that faith is strengthened by stretching. That's what happened when Abram went into the promised or went away from the promised land into the land of Egypt. It was a test of his faith. Not his unbelief, but his faith. And that faith was strengthened by stretching even when his faith snapped. And he deceived Pharaoh. These stories are are meant to be read not as independent episodes but as a, a, a reminder, as, as, as a revelation that shows us that even when God's people fail, their, their, strength, their faith is strengthened. And they begin to reflect that grace that gives them life. So as we listen to God's word this morning, there's three things that, that open this up for us that I would like us to look at from God's Word. First of all, the grace that is being revealed here. Secondly, the grace that is shown or grace that is being displayed, particularly shown by Abram. And then thirdly, the grace that is proclaimed. So the grace received should be the the grace received, not the grace revealed. It's the grace received. It's the grace shown and the grace promised. First of all, the grace received. The story continues from the previous one. Remember at the, the close of, of well, at, at that time in, in Egypt, because of his wife, but also because of Pharaoh's generosity, for the sake of uh, Sarai, the Pharaoh had given Abram sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Beyond the fact of, of Abram's own wealth, he had received a fair bit of wealth from Pharaoh. And, and our text identifies the fact that Abram was very rich. He was wealthy. He was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And the grace received in this blessing reminds us of the wonder of how God's hand had been upon him. That, that even though Pharaoh had been, or excuse me, that Abram's faith was tested and, and failed in Egypt, the Lord protected him. And now with this abundance of blessing, he and Lot are both very wealthy and they come back to the promised land. Here is part of the blessing that God bestows upon him. He should have perished in Egypt for what he had done, but God in his grace preserved and protected him and now restored him to the promised land. And he comes back to that place where he had first pitched his tent and established an altar between Bethel and Ai. He begins to worship and he he calls upon the name of the Lord because he recognizes that just the fact that he can come again into the promised land, to the presence of God, to this place where he previously worshipped has been a result, not of his accomplishment, but because of God's grace administered in his life. Did Abram or Lot deserve this? No. No. But God had protected. He had bestowed his blessing upon them. But even beyond this, now they're they're living in this land and their their livestock are so abundant that there's not sufficient provisions for them and there's beginning to be conflict. and, And in this, there's strife between the herdsmen. 
God had blessed them richly, not only with worship, but with, with material blessings as well, as an indication, as an Old Testament indication that, that, that this is one who has the favor of the Lord upon him. But now, there was strife. How easily, how easily the blessings of God can become a source of strife. Do we realize that? Do we realize that the blessings of God, we, we appreciate them, we, we recognize God's gift of them, that, but they can become a source of strife. Strife because how are we going to sustain them? And our blessings so easily become a burden. As we, we recognize the grace received, we're alerted to, to the reality behind this as well, that our blessings become a burden when they become a source of strife within the covenant community. And God is alerting us, beware, beware when there's strife. What, what are you holding on to? So often we, we hold on to the gifts rather than the giver and we, we hold on to the blessings with, with clenched fingers. This is what Jesus alerts us to. We want to save our life. We've got a good life. We've got a cherished life. We've got a blessed life. And, and we, we do, don't we? But Jesus alerts us, beware of the cost of discipleship. Whoever would save his life, if you hold on too tightly to those blessings, you're going to lose it. We want to save our life. We want to save our abundance. We want to save our blessings. The point is not holding on to the blessings, but holding on to the blesser, the one who gives those gifts. Holding on to Him. Holding on to the God who bestows this. How shallow our gratitude is and how quickly, how quickly our contentment escapes our grasp. This alerts us to the constant danger of overlooking the grace of our God and Father. Of His work. We're confronted this morning of the question of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. O people of God, what do you have? What do you have? Show me one thing that you have that you have not received. Received as a gift of grace. Received at Christ's expense. Received because you don't deserve it, that it's grace that's behind it. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? As we hear this conflict that exists in the land, there's the Canaanites and Perizzites on the horizon just waiting for division waiting for, for strife in the covenant community, waiting to pounce.
And we're alerted to this warning if grace is forgotten. The blessings can become so easily a source of strife. Boys and girls, God wants you to recognize this as well. We see this in our household. I would imagine every household sees this. For us as parents, we have particular chores that our children have to do. One of them is doing the dishes. I don't know if that's in your household as well, but boys and girls, do you ever complain about doing the dishes? I bet you do. Because I do as well. Do you realize why you have dishes? Because you've had a meal to eat. Those who don't have a meal to eat don't have dishes to do. Why do we grumble and complain? It's so... Think of how contrary this is to God's goodness. What have you done? What, I hope your parents are teaching you to do this before your meal, that you're, you're saying grace, you're giving thanks. Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for blessing us in, in a way that we don't deserve, that, that you've caused the land to be productive while we shake our fist in your face. That we have an abundance in our land and we have it so easy on our table. We thank you for that. But then there's these dishes to do. Do we really? Isn't it the other child's turn? How easily we forget the grace that we have said beforehand. You see, boys and girls, God knows you because it's not only you who struggle with the dishes, it's your mom and dad who struggle with other things. It was Abram and Lot's herdsmen on their strife. What do you have that you have not received? And if you've received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? There's grace that's received. But next, as we proceed, there's grace shown to resolve the strife. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. This is Abram. He does something that's very unusual. He, he, he offers Lot the first choice. Now, now, we need to understand why this is so unusual. There's a couple of reasons why this is extraordinary. This is, this is astounding when, when he says, you look and, and you see Lot, you, you take first pick. You have the first choice. He's the son of Terah. Remember, we're, we're in that genealogy of Terah. And he's the son and, and Lot is the grandson. So there's this generational primacy in that culture that, that the, the younger generation needed to care for the older generation and needed to defer to that older generation and said, there you go, you do what you like first and then we'll deal with the leftovers. Now that's a, that's a cultural indication, but I think there's much more that's going on than just this cultural indication. Think of the relationship that, that the Lord has established with Abram at this point in time. He, he is the recipient of the promise. 
Oh, couldn't he swell his collar and say, well, you know, Lot, the Lord has promised that I'm going to get all of this. So maybe out of the goodness of my heart, I'll let you have some land. He doesn't. He was the one who'd received the revelation of God. It is his inheritance. There is everything in our text to suggest that it would be his right, his privilege, his blessing to take the first choice and leave Lot with the leftovers. But you see the danger in this is that we think we have God on contract. We think that grace is an entitlement or bestows upon us an entitlement to these blessings that, that this is mine. Here's the one who learned, is beginning to learn. Let's say it that way. He hasn't finished this lesson. He's begun to learn his lesson in Egypt. That he thought that deceit was the way to secure the promise. But God said, no, in my sovereignty, I will secure the promise. And what does that mean? What does the, the reality of God's sovereignty that is going to secure the promise mean when when him and Lot get back to the promised land and the land can't support them, that, that he says to Lot, Lot, go ahead, have first choice. Because I know, I know the security of the promise. God will sustain me. Even if I get the worst land. God is showing us here and He's revealing to us how the recipients of grace, how the recipients of grace, how the recipients of God's riches at Christ's expense are enabled, enabled by that very grace that they have been shown, the grace that they have received to show it to others. sacrifice on their behalf. So he was willing to forgo the first choice so that he could be a blessing to Lot. God's grace is shown by his children. This is not Abram's well-being. It, 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 it's it's what he's received that now he, he's bestowing upon Lot when, when they know how gracious God is to you. What opens the hand and opens the heart and helps you to have a concern for the well-being of others? It is when you realize how good and gracious God has been with you. The security, the security of God's promise and the sovereignty of God's design. We need to know and we need to trust in the way we offer our choices to those who are in need. It's by faith, 
by a faith in the certainty of God's character, by the faith in the certainty of God's grace, by the faith in the certainty of God's sovereign control, by faith in the certainty of what God will do. That Abram offers the first choice to Lot. And it seems like everything is going swell in the story until the Spirit shows us how Lot makes his choice. Not by faith, but by sight. He sees a fertile region with abundance which rivals the Garden of Eden, the Garden of the Lord, which rivals the land of Egypt that they'd just come from, that had blessed them so tremendously, where they had flourished so financially. He, he sees something that, that rivals that image. He lifted up his eyes and he saw the Jordan Valley, and, and it was a productive valley like the land of Egypt. And he chose for himself that. And God's Word is again teaching us how greedy we can be with the choices we make. We choose by what we see, what looks good to us. Broad is the way and easy the path that leads to destruction. Don't we recognize it's the, spiritually, it's, it's the way of least resistance. You know, we, we have that, that, that beautiful confession, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And my comfort in life and in death and body and soul is that I belong to Jesus Christ. And we turn that into Jesus wants me to be comfortable. And we spiritually Take the path of least resistance. And we choose the way that will help us to remain comfortable. We try to save our life. And if not rescued by God, we will lose it. These are all subtle steps by which Lot compromises his relationship with God. He barters his faith for those whose wickedness whose wickedness rivals the land's productivity. Verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners, as productive as the land was, their sinfulness rivals that productivity. Like many others, his pursuit of prosperity caused him to abandon the pursuit of God's promise. And while the scripture reveals the wonder of grace that is shown to resolve strife, it also shows us the abandonment of grace that will cause strife. And that is this, prosperity. The pursuit of prosperity without the pursuit of promise. Or as secondary to the pursuit of promise. That's probably a better way of saying it. The pursuit of prosperity secondary to the pursuit of promise is guaranteed peril. Death to your soul.
And so God, God's Word is showing us the need to live and to show and to thrive in His grace. And it's after they go their ways, not before, but after they had separated, after Lot settles himself in that prosperous territory, in that place of abandon, that Abram gets to hear from God again. And that thirdly is the grace proclaimed. There is grace received in the blessing. There's grace shown, displayed to Lot in the first choice, abandoned by Lot in the choice that he makes. But thirdly, there's grace proclaimed. Abram is left on his own, without Lot, with the lesser land, but in a much better position. It's what Psalm 84 reminds us of. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I'd rather be the the verger, the guy who, who looks after the regular maintenance than dwell, to be comfortable, to have a place of position, to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Abram is left on his own with the lesser of the land but in a much better position, for he has the Lord and his promise. And once again, God comes. And he says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. There's a certainty, a certainty of his grace being given to Abram. It seems unreal. Land and descendants. Well, Abram has the lesser land and no descendants. More land and more descendants than, than he can imagine. And Abram responds with worship. He, he hears this and, and he, he moves his tent and he comes and he settles at the Oaks of Mamre and he builds there an altar and he says, how good God is in allowing me to flourish in this relationship with him. Those who, who lose their lives for the sake of the gospel, those who abandon everything, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Don't you see that these testimonies, these, these blessings after, after testing and, and the promises secured and the showing of grace to others, that, that they reveal to us the wonder, the wonder of who the God of Abram is. He's your God. He's your God for the sake of Jesus Christ who will sustain you. Who will. It's the same call that we have from Jesus Christ. Living by grace is reliance on God's Word. Living by grace is a willingness to lose our life, to give others the first choice when they don't deserve it. Because we're confident, we're confident that God holds our lives in His hand and He won't let us go. You see, what Jesus says in Matthew 24 is not a new call to discipleship. It's riddled throughout the whole Old Testament. 
as it summons us to realize that our life is found not in the abundance of our possessions, but in the God who possesses everything. This is how God deals with Noah as he builds the ark 120 years and has all the people around him scoffing at him. Abram giving Lot the first choice. Discipleship is about the daily choices you make. The choice whether to embrace God's word or abandon it. Which shows in your life and where you seek your security. Are you willing to lose, to lay everything on the line? That's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge which we, we had the blessing of hearing that from Richard Wormbrand is tortured for Christ. And, and what a powerful testimony of, of one who was taken and beaten and imprisoned for 14 years. Did you hear what he said? That he didn't need all the comforts to get close to God because God came close to him in his beatings and in his jail cell and among his people in those camps. That God came close to him. We're given an insight into the heart of God which changes, which changes the heart of a disciple. Which calls us to recognize the wonder of who our God is. There is grace there is grace with Him for whatever strife and whatever struggle you face. We live a blessed life. But where is the security of your blessing? Is it in God? Do you show this? Do you show this in the choices you make? Are you like Lot looking to see where the prosperity lies so that you can pursue it? Pursuing prosperity without the promise will bring great peril. But it's more than just avoiding that. Is positively going to those who don't deserve it. Like a lot. And giving them the first choice. And what will you realize when you lay down your life for the sake of Christ? That your life is secure in Him. Whose world is it? Anyways. What do you have that you have not received? 
In a moment, we'll sing this from Psalm 139. All that I am, I owe to Thee. Thy wisdom, Lord, has fashioned me. I give my Maker thankful praise, whose wondrous works my soul amaze. Are we complaining about the dishes? when we've had the full meal of His grace. Amen. Let's pray together.